Hey everyone, we have received exceptional support for the Diaries Plus. It means so much to us. It's been a tough year for us. We're down on sponsors, but you keep lifting us up and making this show possible. And because of that, we get to keep making more cool shows for you. So today we're releasing a new series on Diaries Plus called Good, Good, Bad. Trips, adventures, and fiascos that define our lives. On New Year's Eve 2023, Mason Gravelly slid a stand-up paddleboard into the tannin-stained waters of Lake Okeechobee and embarked on an adventure he's been dreaming of for years, an unsupported crossing of one of our country's biggest lakes. Between the weather, toxic algae, and alligators, he was told it was preposterous. But Mason's journey was a culmination of years of Florida adventures and a passion for conservation. Here's a little taste of the first good, good, bad episode, Alligator Lake. Wherever you are is an adventurous place to people that aren't from there. And so it's like, I'll be honest, right now at this point in my life, I would never leave within an hour or two of my home if I could. And I'd probably, that's probably going to change at some point. But right now, that's like my reality. And I did not see that coming. Like, I I would have laughed at you if you you said that's the way you're going to think in five years. And so... It, it, all of us have to go through it. Like, oh, adventure is elsewhere or life and fulfillment and what we're looking for is elsewhere. And I think part of maturing and just part of just living this life is one, going through that. And two, <laughs> realizing everything you need is right here. You know, how many times have people told us that, but it, it takes learning it yourself, you know? Subscribe to Plus Now for the full story and access to all new episodes. As always, Thank you for your support. Now, on to the show. Okay, Becca, when we are driving somewhere, which one of us typically is is driving? I'd say you most of the time. Yeah. Is that because I'm a better driver than you? (laughs) Thanks for that. (laughs) No, you're a good driver. You are. Sometimes you drive pretty slow. I'd say that's something that people that know you well would give you a hard time about. You did sideswipe the door of my old car on a telephone pole in the parking lot once. And you kind of space out, like you'll leave the windshield wipers on after it stopped raining. Sometimes I wait to see how long it takes you to notice, if you notice. Wow, this line of questioning is totally not working out for me right now. Okay, but this is kind of intriguing. Why, why do you drive all the time? Right? So... I was thinking about it, and at first I was like, I have no idea. But when I thought harder about it, I, I remembered. Remember, our, we had our old truck crash, right? Yeah, rest in peace crash. Yeah, I still get a little sad, too. But uh, anyway, it had a bench seat, right? If you move the seat closer to the steering wheel, this passenger seat would move, too. So when we were living on the road and we'd be doing these long drives, we would switch drivers you jump in the driver's seat, you'd pull the seat forward to reach the pedals, and my legs would pretty much go right into the glove box. Like, I was super crunched up and squeezed, and I think I could like make it for maybe an hour or so before my legs would go to sleep. Yeah, it was just more comfortable for you to drive. And then later, once we had kids and a different truck, I'd sit in the passenger seat so I could hop into the back seat so we could keep driving instead of having to stop. And now, here we are. I'm the driver, even though you apparently are a better driver than me. Um, And that's a funny thing, right? If you exist in a relationship long enough, 
we'll all fall into roles, whether it's life partners, business partners, or adventure partners. There are a ton of reasons for how we assume these roles. Life is busy. It doesn't make sense to double up on work. Cultural gender dynamics come into play. One partner excels at certain things. There are so many reasons. Sometimes it's hard to even remember how we got here. And ultimately, it all just sort of turns to habit. And those roles in a relationship, they become less fluid. They solidify. And we almost forget that we had ever constructed them in the first place. What happens when we step out of our role? It can be challenging. And rewarding. Today, producer Jen Altschul brings you a story from Diary's friend, Kathy Holcomb, about her incredible year of stepping out into the wilderness. Dreams are needs. I'm Becca Cajal. Hey, that's my line. Not today, Slowpoke. You're listening to the Dirtback Diaries. That was definitely my line. the first three miles, I was hiking and I kept getting hit in the face with spider webs. I've always followed Peter down the trail. I had no idea that he was taking spider webs to the face for me all these years. And all of a sudden I was out in the front. I was like, man, this is a really different place for me to be. This is Kathy Holcomb. Kathy lives full-time in Winnebago with her husband, Peter, her 13-year-old daughter, Abby, and their dog, Tucker. You may remember the Holcombs from our Winnebago Warriors episode. 23 years ago, Kathy went rock climbing for the first time, on her first date with Peter. Since then, the Holcombs have structured their lives so they can live and breathe adventure. But in the fall of 2017, Kathy had a realization. I've spent my entire life going on adventures, but I wasn't ever really the creator of these adventures. Peter would come up with this amazing idea and I was like, oh yeah, that sounds rad. I totally want to go do that. My role is as the dream maker. Peter's the dreamer and I'm the one that makes the dream happen. And I have a lot of pride in that role. I don't think this dynamic is uncommon or a bad thing. I definitely see echoes of these same roles in my own partnership. But it is a role that requires examination now and again. For Kathy, it began with an idea. An idea she had dreamed up two years earlier, in 2016, when the Holcombs went on a national park tour. As part of that tour, they visited Great Smoky Mountain National Park. That year, they couldn't get a permit to backpack through the park, but the idea, it lodged itself in the back of Kathy's mind. I kept trying to talk my family into going with me, and they just wanted to go kayaking. They were not so into going backpacking. And so I finally gave up trying to convince them and just said, if you guys don't want to go, I'm going to go by myself. Kathy had her heart set on the 70-mile section of the Appalachian Trail from Fontana Dam to Davenport Gap. She planned her trip and set out on a golden October day. The first day, she eased in with a mellow five miles on the trail. And I got to my camp, and it is destroyed. There is debris everywhere. There's trash and food scraps. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. And amongst all the debris, 
there's an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper that is completely unscathed. And I pick it up and it says, warning, bear activity in the area. Recent attacks have resulted in serious injury and death. <laughs> I was like, yeah, welcome to solo backpacking. <laughs> Nonetheless, Kathy set up her tent. She followed all of the proper bear protocol. She walked a good ways away from her tent to cook her dinner, hung her backpack, finished her camp chores. And then it's like five o'clock at night and it's not going to get dark for hours. <laughs> and so I'm just sitting there waiting for darkness. There's nobody to talk to. There's nothing really to do. And so I sit there and wait. Eventually, Kathy climbed into her tent. And it's a full moon. And I think the wilderness just went crazy because of the moon, maybe. Or maybe it was because I was alone. I don't know. But as the sun started to set, these hickory nuts would fall out of the trees. And it sounded like Tyrannosaurus Rexes stomping through the forest. It's like, all the way through the leaves rustling. And then squirrels would run, and it was like an elephant around me. So I lay there, and this bright moon is shining in my eyes. And it was interesting because around 2 o'clock in the morning, everything got silent. And I don't know if it was more unsettling to have the wild rumpus or to have the silence. Finally, eventually, I drifted off, wondering when the imminent bear attack was going to happen. And I woke up exhausted the next morning. And I was five miles away from the trailhead. I was like, oh, I could just totally turn around and quit and be done and not have to do this for the next six nights. And so I hiked the quarter of a mile up to the junction of the trail. And I just stood there and looked in either direction for it seemed like a long, long time. And it was weighing this, do I really want to do this adventure or is it just beyond what I signed up for? And ultimately, I couldn't really commit to completing the whole thing, but I could commit to going one more day. The first night, Kathy slept in a tent, but for the remainder of the trip, she planned to camp in the AT shelters that dot the trail at regular intervals. So that second day, Kathy hiked 13 miles, drawn along, in part, by the promise of potential company that evening. And I get there, not a soul in sight. I'm like, ah, oh, okay. So I set about getting myself ready for the night. I pumped water and made dinner. And I look up. And there's this lady bounding down the trail and she has transformer tights on. I'm like, man, this is going to be fun tonight. <laughs> it turned out that the transformer tights woman was in the middle of a 275 mile solo hike. And we stayed up until like two in the morning sharing stories. And she was just amazing. She's like, you've totally got this. This is no big deal. You're good. And I woke up the next morning so excited. The third day of this journey was brutal. It was 17 miles and it was either straight up or straight down. I'm kind of a Rocky Mountain snob. I have spent the last 
20 years in the Rocky Mountains at altitude and climbed in the Alps and all these things. And I was like, oh, this is just the Appalachians. No big deal. They're topping out at 6,000 feet. And then I got to this stretch and it was like thigh high steps for miles. And my pack feels so heavy and I didn't eat right. I was kind of bonking on the trail and like 15 miles into it, two miles from the end, I'm just out of energy. And I sit down on the trail. I'm like, oh, I, I just, I can't take another step. So I'm crying a little bit. I'm frustrated. And I'm just like, maybe I can just set up my tent here and I'll just quit. I'm done. Can't do it. As Kathy sat in the trail, overwhelmed, exhausted, frustrated to tears, her Garmin in reach dinged. And it's Peter. And he's like, I am so proud of you. You are such a badass. You're killing this. I'm like, oh, okay, get up. (laughs) Keep going. You got to do this now. You are a badass. You can do it. (laughs) And then I'm like 20 miles from the end. I've done 50 miles of this trail and I'm on fire. I'm loving it. I love the sounds in the woods now. They're familiar and it's great. And again, my Garmin dings at me and this time it's my mom. And she's like, hey, Kathy, you might want to pick up the pace. There's a hurricane coming. I'm like, what? I'm in the mountains. This is weird. What do you mean a hurricane? And sure enough, you can see the clouds start to come over and it just unleashes. 60 mile an hour winds, it's raining so hard that the trail turns into a river, trees are crashing all around me. And so I'm running through this river trail and as I walk into the shelter, there's a note from the park service that says, Essentially, that it's about to get really sporty and you should evacuate. Kathy pulled out her map and weighed her options. The closest trailhead was five miles away. She had 17 miles left on her planned route. Ultimately, she decided her best option was to wait out the night in the relative safety of the stone shelter and reassess in the morning. And so the night is eternal. The wind is whipping the rain underneath the open side of the shelter. Everything I have is drenched, and it's just this really scary thing. And eventually I do fall asleep, and I wake up just as the sun is coming up, and it's just a patter of rain, just a little bit. And the wind is slowed down so that trees aren't crashing. I checked the weather, it was uncertain, and I was like, okay, it's time to trail run. (laughs) with a backpack on for 17 miles. And I set out. And eventually the clouds opened up and the sun came out. And I did 10 miles in like less than two hours. I was flying and feeling so strong and powerful. And the last three or four miles, I'm just lost in thought about what a transformative experience this is and how amazing it is to be in the woods by yourself. And it was profoundly changing to me. 
empowering. And I have about a mile left and I look up and there are Peter and Abby waiting for me. And they were so proud and they were so excited and I was excited and it was really neat to be all back together again. And so that was the beginning of this amazing year of adventures. A month and a half later, in December, the Holcombs received a phone call from the Grand Canyon Permit Office. A party had canceled 10 days before launch. The Holcombs could have the permit if they wanted it. The call came as a surprise because after years of putting in for a permit, the Holcombs had just run the Grand Canyon the year before. That trip was particularly significant because Abby set a goal for herself to kayak the entire 280 miles, every rapid. And it was this amazing experience for my then 12-year-old daughter, but it was terrifying to me. As a mom, Kathy was worried for Abby. She didn't know whether Abby was strong enough or a skilled enough kayaker for the canyon. Peter had already kayaked the canyon a number of times, so Kathy wanted all of his attention on their daughter. And Abby did great. She did kayak every rapid. She reached the takeout empowered and stoked. And Kathy was thrilled for her daughter. But the focus on Abby's goal did mean that Kathy often wound up alone and scared in the middle of the biggest whitewater she had ever encountered, and some of the bigger rapids she rode through on a raft. The permit this year was only for 10 days, so in order to move quickly, they would only bring kayaks. Some of the harder rapids you can portage around, but for the most part, there is just not a plan B. And I was like, I'm not going. This is not my thing. (laughs) This is too big. This is too scary. I'm not good enough. And I just wasn't going to go. The next three days, Kathy listened to Peter and Abby plan. And now we're seven days out from the launch date. And I started to think about all the amazing moments that were in the canyon aside from the kayaking. All the time I had to talk to Peter and Abby and be around them and just be in the wilderness. And I was like, I'm really going to miss out on something amazing. And then I started thinking about all the things that I was successful on in that first trip. And I was like, it really comes down to a stretch of about 25 miles that I'm afraid of. I've kayaked the rest of it. And I was like, okay, how many rapids are actually in this 25-mile stretch? How hard are they? How many have I actually done successfully before? And it came down to two rapids. And you can't walk around them. And I was like, am I going to let two rapids that I'll probably be fine on hold me back from this amazing adventure? As Kathy pondered, two good friends committed to the trip, world champion kayakers, Emily Jackson and Nick Troutman. And so I was like, okay, this amazing experience. I have two of the best kayakers in the world going on this adventure. It doesn't get any more supportive than this. The next week went by in a blur of preparation and driving. And then they were at the launch. And then they were through the ranger talk. And then they were at the top of the first big rapid. And I styled it the last time. So I get there and super scared. And Peter and Abby are like, you totally did this before. You got this. No big deal. 
And so I do it. I make it to the eddy below. Everybody cheers. You did it, Kathy. You're doing so great. And then they all peel back out into the current and vanish downstream. I'm like, oh, there's still big waves there. And I have a choice to make. I can paddle a little bit upstream of the eddy and skip the scary waves. Or I can peel out like everybody else did into the big waves and ride the main current downstream and catch up with them. And I wait just a little too long to make my decision and everybody is gone. And like spots on the horizon gone. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, I got to get in the main current and go catch up with them. So I feel out into the main current and I'm immediately upside down. I'm like, oh, I'm a very experienced kayaker with a great role in flat water and in white water, it just is unreliable. And so I try to roll, and I try to roll again, and I try to roll again, and I cannot do it. The river is just like battering me. And so I pull my skirt out and I swim. And so now I'm in this crazy chaotic water, separated from my boat. Whirlpools are pulling me under. It's just horrible. I'm like, oh my God, I'm gonna die. Like right here, <laughs> this is it. <laughs> And I look down and I can't even see anybody. I'm blasting my whistle. I'm like, okay, you're alone. It's time to take care of yourself. And so I start kicking my feet and I'm pushing my boat ahead of me. And pretty soon I'm in the eddy. And I look downstream and I see Emily Jackson sprinting upstream toward me. I'm like, whoo, help is on the way. <laughs> But help was not there yet. And this particular eddy lay in the middle of a circle of current that feeds back upstream, right into the scariest part of the rapid. And that current lay between Kathy and the shore. And so as I get closer to the shore, the water starts pushing me back up into the belly of the beast. <laughs> and so it is this race. And I am swimming with everything I've got. And Emily's about 10 feet away and I'm about 20 feet from the hole, and I drop my boat and just charge to the shore, and she pushes my boat the rest of the way. And I'm devastated. Like, I totally failed on the first hard rapid. I'm like, okay, how am I gonna do the rest of the canyon? That wasn't even the bad stuff. And Emily is like, that was a really impressive self-rescue. And that stuck in my head. And so I was like, well, if I swim every hard rapid between here and the end, I'll still probably be okay. And that was pivotal because I didn't have to rely on somebody else to take care of me. And it just changed the way I paddled. I started charging into rapids and I started looking at them differently rather than being this big monster it started becoming a roller coaster, and it was something that was fun. After the break, Kathy tries out her newfound confidence on the two rapids 
that had worried her from the start of the Grand Canyon trip. And support comes from Kuat Racks. They just released the Ibex, an overlanding truck bed rack that handles substantial loads both on and off the grid because being off the grid is dope. Constructed from lightweight yet durable aluminum, the black powder coat is made for all the nature you can throw at it. Available in six different frame sizes to accommodate most truck models, the Ibex is engineered for adventure with versatile full and half-height configurations. For more details, visit kuat.com. Kuat, because you will absolutely love this bedrock and all the dope places you go. And then we get to the two big rapids. The first rapid is called Horn. And it's got two humongous holes that'll flip a 2,000-pound raft. And all you have to do is split between the two holes. And I sit at the top and I look at it with Emily and she's like, oh, you got this. No problem. Just stay right behind me. And I watch her start to paddle. And all of a sudden I see her turn on the gas. I'm like, oh, no, this is going to be bad. And so she splits the horns, barely missing one of the holes. And I paddle for everything that I have. And I drop right into one of the holes, <laughs> like upside down again. And then I'm right side up. And I look around and I'm like, did you guys see it? I, I rolled, I'm up, I'm up. And I paddle down and I'm at the bottom. And I'm like, oh my gosh, the thing that I was most scared of, I did. And I recovered from it in my boat. And this is awesome. <laughs> Later that same day, they made it to Hermit Rapid. Which is the biggest waves in the Grand Canyon. And by big, I mean they loom up bigger than a house in front of you. And there's like 15 of them. And so I get out and I scout and this one has an escape route. I can actually walk around this rapid. And Peter and Nick are like, we'll be happy to run your boat through it. This is our favorite rapid. And I was like, what? It's your favorite rapid? And I look at it. I was like, I just had that amazing roll. I'm going to do it. Kathy followed Nick into the waves and almost immediately lost sight of his boat in the giant water. Then one of the waves picked up the bow of her boat and flipped her upside down onto her back. And I roll up. I'm like, oh, I'm up. But I'm backwards. And the wave catches me and it surfs me like on a surfboard in the ocean. And all of a sudden I'm surfing in the land of giants, which was not my plan. And so I ride through the rest of the rapid backwards and I get to the bottom. And that set the tone for the rest of the canyon. After the two rolls, it was just fun. It was such a different experience than the year before. And I don't think it was because I'm that much better of a kayaker, but just having the support of the people around me and having the experience of failing and swimming and being okay with that and giving myself permission to not be perfect and then going in and having those successes in rolling and all of that coming together in one thing was amazing. Do 
two months after the Holcombs took out of the canyon, it was time for another trip Kathy had dreamed about for years. I wanted to kayak from Key Largo to Key West, the entire length of the Florida Keys, 126 miles. And it was another adventure that Peter and Abby weren't really excited about. They don't want to go paddle on flat water for days on end. And so, again, I was like, okay, I really want to do this. I'm going to make it happen. Kathy reached out to a handful of friends, assembled a group of four women to join her on the trip, and began to plan. But as I start to research this, I keep hitting all these dead ends. People are like, you you don't really kayak the whole length of the Keys. It's more a day trip kind of place. You go to a condo and you go out for a few hours and then you come back and then you do a different path the next day. But that wasn't as appealing to me. I wanted to go somewhere. I wanted to see the whole thing. And so I'm trying to figure out tides and currents and winds and how far we can paddle in a day. And I'm just not finding much information. And so kind of as the de facto trip leader, all these women are looking to me like, how do we do this? I just start making it up. (laughs) Like, okay, well, we have about two weeks and 126 miles. We should go about 12 miles a day. And this is a little bit different kind of adventure because we're staying at resorts the whole entire way. And so while we're out in the wilds of the Keys on the water during the day, we're having this amazing posh experience at night, which I was really looking forward to. Kathy may have been looking forward to nights in a real bed, but she did not plan the trip that way by choice. Public land does not really exist in the Keys. If they wanted to go on this trip, they had to book places to stay. But as Kathy started to assemble the plan, she was met with the reality that for the most part, the Keys book up a solid year in advance. And so some days that I have mapped out, we only go five miles. And some days we go 22 miles. And it's completely dependent on our nightly accommodations. So the four women arrived in the Keys and got into their kayaks, equipped with nautical charts, information on wind direction and speed, and a daily plan based almost entirely on what Kathy could track down for nightly accommodations. And the first day, we paddle 17 miles into the wind, and it takes us like 10 or 12 hours, and it's brutal. We get lost a few times in mangrove tunnels. Google Earth shows them going through and they had closed in on themselves. And little things like there's no public land anywhere in the Keys. So where do you stop to go to the bathroom in 10 hours of paddling or to get out of your boat and stretch your legs? And so little things like that turned into kind of big things. And that was the first time where I had ever really felt the responsibility of leading other people into the wilderness. So it was a totally different way yet again to experience the wilderness. That first evening, the women arrived at their accommodations for the night to discover a four-foot seawall without a ladder separating them from their beds which took some shenanigans to navigate before they finally managed to heave themselves and their gear onto shore. We were pretty beat, and our accommodations that night 
were uh, rough. It was hot with a rattly window AC and just kind of noisy and it was less than ideal. I think everybody was a little deflated and just tired and like, man, is it going to be like this the whole way? So we set out the next day and we have even further to go. And we are paddling out of the channel and like this humongous shadow emerges in the water right in front of us. And we're like, <gasps> and everybody just freezes like, who's gonna die first? Is <laughs> this like Jaws coming up to eat us? And pretty soon we see it emerge right in front of my friend Christine's boat and it lifts her up out of the water <laughs> and we're like oh, she's a goner and she just really quietly says it's a manatee and so this really beautiful gentle incredible manatee comes up to each of us it's scratching its back underneath our boats and it's sticking its nose against our paddles and just really checking us out it's like this 30-minute amazing experience with this magnificent creature. And from there on out, it's like we've got this. Sometimes we have winds, sometimes we have waves, sometimes they're in our face, sometimes they're behind us. But seeing all these sea creatures and paddling together and just having this amazing female companionship the bonds that we made and just taking care of each other and sharing responsibility and lifting each other up when we're struggling. It was another really unique, powerful experience. Just extraordinary. The Holcombs returned to Colorado to support Abby in the Whitewater Competition Series for the next month and a half. Then, Abby was invited on an expedition to the Magpie River in northern Quebec. Peter would go along to photograph the trip. And I was not invited because it was beyond my skill set. And I was okay not being invited. It was beyond what I wanted to do. And so I was thinking that I should do another adventure by myself. Kathy was in Idaho at the time, and she had three weeks before she would pick up Peter and Abby in Canada. And ever since we hit the road, and people have said, oh, my gosh, what did you guys think of the Boundary Waters? And we're like, we've never been there. And I've never really canoed, but it can't be that different than kayaking. <laughs> and I had my dog with me, and he's getting old. And I was like, this would be a really fun thing to take my favorite dog friend out for a five-day adventure. And so I loaded up a canoe, loaded up my dog, and out we went. The part that I didn't know about canoeing 
was the portages. There are rapids that separate the lakes or land bridges. And so you have to get your canoe and your pack across a landmass to the next body of water. The guys at the Outfitter showed Kathy how to flip her canoe onto her shoulders, and she practiced walking around in the parking lot. But actually portaging out in the boundary waters, that was a different thing. And the portages, some of them are a piece of cake. They're like a quarter mile, flat, smooth trails, no problem. And there are some that are like a mile long, and you have to do multiple trips. One for the canoe, one for the backpack full of camping gear and dog food. And some of them are rooted and muddy and mosquito infested, and they're just horrible. And you never know what you're going to get. <laughs> and the very first night, there is a wicked storm that blows through. And there's lightning and thunder and wind. And again, I'm out in the woods alone. I'm like, God, why am I doing this alone again? <laughs> and I wake up the next day and it's clear and it's beautiful and loons are calling across the lake and I'm like okay I'm gonna go one more day and see what happens and I paddle and I get to this big portage it's a mile long and I carry all of my gear across and in that process I'm like I'm in this is good this is hard but it's something I want to finish and after that, I was on fire again. And I was like, we're doing this. And Tucker Dog and I, we did 70 miles through the Boundary Waters. And sometimes it was just horrible where you're getting eaten alive by mosquitoes. And then other times you're just out, it's quiet. And you're going at your own pace. You feel like you're the only person that's experiencing this beauty and power and wildness and just out on your own experiencing it all like really living big great beams of light shut out from the sun flew across the mountain like bullets from a gun I'm always alone when I think about you sing. see what I see and I do what I Becoming a mom definitely changes everything. And Peter and I, whenever we had Abby, were completely committed together to continuing this life in the wild. But it was hard. And I think Peter was better at balancing his need to climb or kayak or whatever it was than I was. He was like, I got to go climbing or paddling or whatever it was. And I would be like, yeah, you need to go do that for sure. And I wasn't as good as saying, I need that too. And I think moms do that. I mean, there's nothing more important than this little person that you're caring for. And it's really hard to say, 
I need to take care of myself. Whether it is just going out with your friends or going out on an adventure, it's just hard to put ourselves first. And then as she got older and able to go on her own adventures, I wanted to experience that with her so badly and to share that. But what ended up happening is that I regressed in my ability levels because, you know, I'm climbing like 5'2 every day. (laughs) Or I'm paddling on flat water because I want her to be able to go. Now, Abby's a much more competent kayaker and climber than I am. (laughs) All of a sudden, she's soared into this amazing athlete. And so now I find myself struggling to keep up. And that's a super frustrating place to be. I'm like, oh, man, I used to be able to do that. What happened? Well, it was all these years of waiting and teaching, and I didn't work on myself. I think as women, we're inherently caregivers. But what I didn't realize is that I'm also a dreamer. And those dreams have to be nurtured and brought to life. Dream those big dreams, those crazy dreams, ones that you're almost afraid to say out loud. Whisper them and start to think about them and decide if they need to live on their own right. And if they do, it's your obligation to bring them into the world. Take a deep breath, baby. Jump on in Let that dirty water cover Up your skin Bone let this flood Come Carry us away Thank you, Kathy, for sharing your story. For their next adventure, the Holcombs are headed to Europe. They just picked up their van from a port in Belgium. You can follow their travels on Fam Agogo. If you like what you hear on The Diaries, there are a few ways you can support us. People ask us all the time about this. Well, you can follow us on Instagram at dirtbag underscore diaries, where you can check out extra photos from these episodes, or you can rate us on iTunes. It helps other listeners find us, and I know everybody asks for that, but it's true. It really does. Or you can pledge your support by going to our website and clicking on the pledge button. Or, hey, you can pull a hat trick and do it all, whatever you choose. It really helps us. But we know you've been doing it for a long time, and we hope you keep doing it. Thank you. Music today from Kai Engel, Bradley Carter, Publish the Quest, Dr. Turtle, Canyon Kids, Richard Smith, and Jason Tyler Burton. The tracks are courtesy of Free Music Archive or the artists themselves. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto composed our theme song, so dope. You can find the links to the artists at our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. This episode was produced by Jen Altschul, Becca Cahal, and Cordelia Zars. I'm Fitz Cahal, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in. Oh, baby, that's your need. Get carried.